Hello, good evening and welcome to the Australian Centre for the Moving Image. My name is Anna and tonight we are live in the studio for sci-fi and spin-offs with Oscar Hillstrom, Jane Badler and Adam Richard. I'll begin tonight with a quote from the captain who will be steering this ship tonight. Our chair, Oscar Hillestrom, on the end there. Oscar said to me on the phone last week, we're all sci-fi fans, some of us just don't know it yet. With a reputation for concise, witty analysis, a playfulness with words and a flair for left-field humour, Oscar is considered one of the foremost critics of his generation. He has reviewed, presented and written film features for a wide range of media, including... Radio National, Eagle FM and Network 10. He co-founded legendary street magazine Revolver, now The Brag, and was one of the founding editors of Empire Australia, continuing today as a contributing editor. Oscar was the film writer for FHM Australia for a decade and has been a frequent presenter at Popcorn Taxi, interviewing filmmakers and film stars for over 10 years. He is currently captain of Sci-Fi Channel Australia's website, scifitv.com.au. Please welcome Oscar Hillestrom. Sci-Fi Fabulon number two is Adam Richard on the end. A stand-up comedian since 1997, Adam has performed all over Australia, Britain and the US. He began his Gossip Queen career at Triple J's Mr Bitch in 2002 and has spent the last six years as... The fabulous Adam Richard as part of Melbourne's breakfast team, The Bat and Joe Show on Fox FM. Adam has appeared as a guest on such embarrassing ventures as Celebrity Dog School, Hole in the Wall and The Footy Show. He has also appeared in more classy fare like Sleuth 101, Rove and Spicks and Specs. His impression of an Australian Idol audition remains the most viewed Spicks and Specs clip on YouTube. I uh, highly recommend a little uh, Google stalk of Adam. Please welcome Adam Richard. And now I would like to welcome the Jane Badler, famed for her role as Diana in the 80s sci-fi miniseries V and its sequels. Jane's character was voted as the best ever sci-fi villain in a poll of television critics and was voted one of sci-fi's 25 greatest legends by America's TV Guide. She has starred in a long list of Hollywood B-films and television in the US (laughs) and Australia and has the title of Miss New Hampshire under her belt. (laughs) Jane is also a singer, starting her career at the Playboy Club in Manhattan in the mid-70s. With two albums, The Devil Has My Double and soon to be released, Tears Again. You might also see her as the villainous Diana Marshall on Neighbours or performing around Melbourne as Jane Badler with Sir. Please welcome our panel for this evening. Well, thank you very much, Anna. It's a pleasure and a privilege to be here with one of the absolute icons of sci-fi and, of course, Jane Badler. Um, (laughs) I'm um, beside myself. So exciting. Some of you may not know that um, Adam is, of course, a huge Doctor Who aficionado. um, Yeah, I'm a nerd. And obviously a bit of a Trek Trek man as well. Um, So we're going to bow to his perfect knowledge in those areas as he lists all doctors in order. (laughs) Um, But before we do that, um, I think it's important for those of you, the younger members of the audience, who may not be as au fait with Jane's oeuvre, uh, and perhaps we're going to have an introduction to the majesty that is the original 1983 
fee. Yeah? I'd like to speak to you. I'm busy right now. It's about the rebel raids. <laughs> That's classified information. I'm entitled to know about the raids. The intelligence comes from a source that I created. You're entitled to information that pertains to the scientific mission, nothing more. Then you're not taking the boys' report seriously. It's not standard practice to base troop movements on the tacklings of a ten-year-old earthling. I converted him myself. The information is reliable, and I have serious doubts about your conversion process. However, I'll have someone look into it. When? The raids are planned for tomorrow. You scientific types are so easily ruffled, and you military types are so predictable. <laughs> you rely on cunning, intrigue. I prefer the direct approach. Don't worry, dear Pamela. I'll do my scientific best to command your fleet. And tomorrow, I'll destroy the rebels. Consider this an early retirement. Oh my god. You're a badass. I was such a baby. Well, um, I think there have been um, descriptions of V as, uh, I guess, dynasty in space. Um, <laughs> was it as much fun playing mm. it as it looks? Well, that definitely looked like dynasty in space, didn't it? Um, oh, it was great fun. I was really lucky to get that role. Um, it was probably my first nighttime role. I was doing daytime. I was um, on the doctors uh, opposite Alec Baldwin. We were, we were having a love affair, not in real life. <laughs> But uh, for about a year, we worked together on that uh, when I was flown out to L.A. and auditioned last minute. They'd already started filming for the role of Diana. I think they'd seen hundreds of people for that role. And um, for some reason, magic happened and the rest is kind of cult science fiction history. But it was great fun. Hmm. Do you think it was because you looked like you were bang up to eating a rat? (laughs) (laughs) Hello, Adam. was cute. Oh, that was me. Now, one of the most interesting, I guess, facets of that original audition was the fact that you didn't go in there as a hyper bitch. You actually, I believe the the story went that you actually delivered Diana as a sweet, a sweet young thing uh, rather than an evil um, empire um, running lizard. Yeah, well, I I did because I was a sweet young thing. And um, I don't know, the director just took to me. And, um, hmm. (laughs) That's another story. But, um, yeah, it was just incredible. I I went in and did my thing. I didn't think I gave a very good audition, which is, you often hear that from actors. They didn't give a very good audition, and then they get the role. And I went to my hotel, and I had a note that was just put under the door, and it said, don't leave town. And I went, oh, my God, don't leave town. And, um, yeah, the next day I was in, uh, they were kind of bandaging my head for a... uh, a prosthetic. Wow. So, um, yeah, Ken was really great, though. Kenneth Johnson, the director, he worked a lot with me to get that more of that sort of bitchy edge. Mm. Mm. Um, now, a bitchy edge, I guess, Adam, 
goes without saying. Um, but can you say, uh, one of the interesting uh, facets of science fiction is the way that each generation is moulded by the particular shows of that generation. And I'm just wondering, has, has, did V, Adam, have an effect on you? Uh, look, it up? did. Um, especially because... I mean, V kind of... If you look at it now, especially the 80s one, it, you know, while it was a parable of the whole Nazi Germany mm. thing and, you know, the resistance, it obviously visually was based on 50s sci-fi movies with paper plates on strings. <laughs> but really high-tech paper plates on strings. Yeah, that's no, true. And uh, which is, I, I don't know if you've, have you seen the, the new one? Yes, I have. I've I seen the whole it, season, yeah. I find it disturbing that it's, you know, it doesn't have that kind of, you know, the, the original had that element of, you know, the, the whole Nazi thing going on. But the new one seems like uh, it's, I don't know, weirdly obsessed with terrorism and, and hiding in plain sight and all that kind of thing. And I worry that it's teaching us a bad message. Really? Well, I liked the old one because it was like, you know, if you get invaded, you can always still, you know, stand up for yourself and everything's going to be fine. Yeah, but, yeah. But it this... was more black and white. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's... I don't know. But, yeah, I, I, I did love V. In, and, uh, in fact, it's one of the reasons I fell in love with my boyfriend because he asked for Christmas for V on DVD. And I was like, <laughs> I got me bonded. <laughs> well, I don't know. Is that, does anyone here watch the new V? I don't know if anyone here does. Yeah, I mean, no. what's that? Try. You try. <laughs> it's it's not like the old one, is it? Mm. Yeah. And what's it's that? also yeah. considering the uh, you know how far we've come with special effects. Yeah. The fact that it's quite obvious that everyone's standing around a green screen and they're just going to project the spaceships on later. Mm. Whereas at least with this, you went, oh no, they're, they're really good paper plates on strings. They look <laughs> awesome. Well, V in its time had uh, one of the most extraordinarily high budgets for a television movie. Mm. Um, I think this this series probably has a good budget, but I don't think it had the sort of budget that we had. Certainly, yeah. um, factoring in inflation, it's nothing yeah. nothing yeah. like it. Yeah. Um, now I think I think this time I, we we should obviously the um, the hamster in the room um, needs to be discussed, um, <laughs> and uh, perhaps a, a clip uh, would uh, come in quite handy. <clears throat> oh God. Well, I don't think our leader could have possibly chosen anyone who could do a better job than you.
That is awesome. It's <laughs> oh, so good. I mean, even with the very... Uh, now you look at those special effects and you go, oh, my God. They're just ridiculous. But, but you can still... Even now you can look at it and think, that's good. That's really good. It's hard to deny the sheer drama. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I always used to wonder whether Diana, like, you know, that was obviously a snack. Because she's in the middle of a meeting, I'm just going to... You know, did, did Diana, like, eat, like, a whole elk and it would stick out like an anaconda for about a day and she couldn't go yeah, anywhere? Yeah, probably in the privacy of her bedroom at night. <laughs> she probably did, yes. Now, obviously, the way that TV shows are made have changed dramatically yes. in the ensuing years. Um, can you talk about a little bit about how uh, difficult it was to use these prosthetics and to be shot over and over again? Because, obviously, something like the hamster gag, so to speak... Yeah. Um, uh, that doesn't look like something that you could just uh, roll up and jam a hamster down your throat. No, well, that was uh, that particular special effect took a couple of days to do. I mean, it's just ridiculous I mean, when you think about now how they do it. But um, they had to build, um, you know, a, a fake head. I had to do a fake head, and then they had to. Then they had a built a neck, a fake neck on me, and they had three uh, men or people behind me pumping air. On, on three different separate air <laughs> things, pumping air to make it look like that snake thing. And you could see they did a quick edit to the head, which they then had to open and then go back to me and do this. And I, you know, I did that, and then they had the snake thing with the three people pumping air up my neck. I mean, it's like, it's like unbelievably antiquated, isn't it? I mean, it's just incredible. <laughs> but then, obviously, at the time, you were the cutting edge of... Film technology. It was the cutting edge on mm. television at that time. I think that's why people like it because they can see where were we at. It's so interesting to see where we were at. Mm. Do you know the other thing I, I I think I love about V and again with another show we'll talk about later, Battlestar Galactica is um like the eighties version of V, very strong female characters, and that you know I'm a homo, we love that. Uh, <laughs> and then you know obviously the new one is the same thing you've got you know yes. really strong female characters yeah, you know yeah. woman in charge yeah. of the resistance woman in charge so of the good, aliens yeah. and it's why why do you why is it much seem much more evil when a woman is in charge of being nasty people love that i think people really love it's very sexy you know yeah. i think there's something quite sexual about uh, the leader being a woman and being so cool and in charge I, I think so. At Do you least. think there's like a fetishy thing going I on? I totally, mm. totally <laughs> fetishy. I mean, totally. In Anna too, the new in the new V. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. there's totally. They're starting. To, they they slowly built up to that, didn't they? The, yeah. Her becoming more of a sexual creature. So I think it's it's fantastic. I I think it's the only way to go. Being in charge. But I I mean it's obviously something. It's more of a you know it's something you see more in sci-fi than you would in normal drama. Like uh, for instance, in Star Trek, they have you know a captain of a ship who's a woman. Whereas you would you know you'd very rarely get a TV show where it's like oh he's she's in charge of the yeah, police why, station. Why? It's like no, there's a man. Who's why their boss. is that? I, I mean that's that's an interesting. You know, fact. I don't know. I don't know why that is. Why do you think? I, I think I, I think it's because we go. What's the future? Let's put women in charge. No one will believe it. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but no, I, I, I think it. Do, but it does. Like I, certainly for me, you know, like camp kids when we're little, we're drawn to. Oh my god, I love that woman. She's awesome. Yeah, yeah. And it, you know, you do identify. I think you know with really strong female characters. I think sci-fi is good for that. Oh, I think it's fantastic. It's so good for that. Yeah. Now, um, obviously, some of the people that you've 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 spoken to, some of the people who work with the new V, um, and it's interesting to see. I guess 
in a sense, V is one of the prototypical remakes mm. of our generation that seems to be the remake generation with every week seeing something new coming along. And obviously they've brought something new to it. Um, when you have spoken to the, the current producers, do you see them as wanting to make their own show that is just using the original as a template or are they celebrating the show in the way that they know how? That's a good question, but I certainly feel that they're trying to get away from the old V. Right. That's my impression, that they're trying to put their own stamp on this V, saying, yes, we've, we've, uh, that's our original inspiration, but now we're taking the show and we're making it into our own. Mm. So they've been very reluctant, I think, to bring in old cast members. And um, it's only really because there's been a, a huge swell from the fans <laughs> that has not let up, that's been very relentless, that I do think now they're starting to listen to that. Mm. It's actually interesting that you say that mm. because I hear that you might have recently visit, visited Los Angeles uh, to have a chat with Jace Hall, yes. um, who's one of the producers of the show. And um, he actually put that audition on the internet. So I think... Perhaps if we run that. This is awesome. I'm doing great. So where is uh, the other producers? I'm just okay. just, just, this is me. You just, just you. Yes, it's me. You're not on Star Jace. Do you know who you're talking to? <laughs> <laughs> this is Jay Madeline. I know. This is, this is, it's awesome. What episode am I in? Okay? Just put me on V. Put me on V, Jay. Come on. You can do it, baby. I know you can. Yeah, but this is the casting. I'd like to ask you a question. Do, do you remember, like, the pivotal scene in the V movie? I mean, there's a lot of pivotal moments. We, no, we, no, there's not a lot of pivotal moments, Jason. What are you, which one are you talking about? Then? Think back to that play, that big fat hamster. Remember that? No, no, no. Remember that? The face? The face that opened up the three tier deck that took two days to shoot? That is the moment, okay? Now, I can do that moment for you. I can, I can do that moment for All right? I'll show you something. Okay, baby? Mm. Oh, Jace, if you knew what I've been doing the last 20 years, what I've been studying, <laughs> i, I got to tell you, you will flip out when you see what I can do. For, for what? For V. For I mean, no one can do what I can do. Absolutely. Okay? So did you bring me a present, or what was in there? So I've been rehearsing for the last five months. Just have a little look, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I mean about the difference in the special effects now. That, that's a really good example, isn't mm. it? Um, I guess mm. the experience of having a mouse in your mouth, um, <laughs> it's not something that everybody can talk about. Um, oh, we've all had a dim sense. <laughs> <laughs> 
know what that takes like. Um, but I guess one of the most interesting stories that happens to actresses is that they're seen on screen uh, doing certain things. I think um, Susan Sarandon in Atlantic City was famous for uh, using lemons and uh, rubbing themselves on herself to get rid of the smell of fish. And ever since that, people would come up to her and give her bags of lemons. And she always said, oh, God, if only I'd rubbed money into my breasts, perhaps <laughs> my life would have been different. Uh, do you get offered marsupials uh, and or <laughs> small rodents uh, on a day-to-day basis or perhaps people suggesting things, etc., and whatnot? Or has this, this kind of random act of fandom <laughs> dissipated over the years? It's actually been renewed. I, mean, I think with the, with the new V coming back, it's mm. suddenly, you know, kind of put me back into the limelight with my uh, gerbil eating. But, um, <laughs> yes... But definitely there was a lull there for a while. People mm. stopped asking me to do that. It must... At it, parties. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was a lull. There was a lull. There was a lull in I my super I was out of fashion. Eating. I'm back in fashion again. <laughs> yes. I think that's... I mean, I've watched the whole of the new series of V and I, that was my one thing that I found dissatisfying. That, that didn't happen? Every week I'm like, come on, you've got to eat something now. <laughs> you've got to chuck something down your but gullet. Come be, on, it's lady. It's going to be anticlimactic. Really. Oh, well, they've yeah. gone on too long now. Mm. Yeah, yeah, now it's too long. Now it's just, you know... Yeah. It's like paying a hooker. Mm. It's like, yeah, you go. <laughs> Maybe when they see that, they'll let me do it. <laughs> well, it seems it seems only fair, but um, obviously there uh, the recent Comic Con. Um, it was announced by ABC that um, a character called Diana would be on the show, and the homeworld would be revealed, Ooh. which is very exciting for yes. V fans. Yes, it um, is. And we can only hope that sanity prevails. That's right. Um, we can. We can only hope. Mm-hmm. I'm practising uh, my Buddhist detachment. <laughs> Trying not to want it too much. <laughs> now, of course, for, for those of you who haven't seen the new V, uh, it was ABC's uh, blockbuster show, and it's actually, in a sense, it's been groomed to take over from Lost as the kind of... It's more large S sci-fi mm-hmm. than small S sci-fi. Yeah. Um, and for those of you who haven't seen it, we've got a little bit of a clip uh, to introduce you to the world of V, and, and we're going to talk about the differences between the old and new directly after. What was that? Hello? Do you feel that? What was that? Hello? Oh. Oh, no. It's a time loop. What was that? Hello? Do you feel that? Welcome to the New York Mothership. My name is Lisa. 
We're all so quick to jump on the bandwagon. But before we get on, let us at least examine it. They've been printing fake docs, passports, IDs. They cleared out the criminal work coming. Ryan, please. Look, I told you I want that guy. They won't stop calling me. We need your help. I want him. Anna would like you to do the interview. That's the danger. Gratitude can morph into worship. They say that you two are obsessed with the bees. You know what the bees? They call it spreading hope. Do you have any questions before we go there? Just be sure not to ask anything that would paint us in a negative light. Excuse me? I know the real reason you're here, Father, and I am not the only one. We're honored and privileged to be able to assist mankind with our knowledge and technology. Maybe implementing a plan that will result in the extermination of every man, woman, and child. If you could speak to the protesters, what would you say? That embracing change is never easy, but the reward for doing so can be far greater than anything you can imagine. They gain trust with the promise of friendship, and of course all they're really doing is positioning themselves as the saviors of mankind. They're honoring themselves with the most powerful weapon out there. What's that? Devotion. What do we do now? Fight. Mm. I do like in the in the new V that they've gone for the whole. Um, it's more like the invaders are a corporation than the Nazis, and mm. they're using the media to go. Kind of, no, no, no! Everything we're doing is good. There is no oil in the Gulf. It's fine. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I, I quite I quite like it. I think it's kind of. Um, it's a little bit more insidious, and you know, yeah. it's, there's kind of fear under the, underneath the surface. And that any, I like the idea that these aliens—they um, have human skin, and over the years, they've been on the Earth now for over 50 years, and uh, the human skin starts to meld into their own, and so they're slowly starting to feel human emotion. And so Anna, you know, up in the spaceship, she's culling anyone who has human emotion, yeah. and then it starts to happen to her just because of the virtue that they have human skin. And also the fact that you can't trust anyone. You don't know any. You don't know who is an alien and who yeah. isn't. The same with kind of terrorism. Or I mean, I think it's quite interesting. It is interesting to see also the the if you like the difference between the original special effects and I guess some people will look at the original 1983 and enjoy the series because of the cheesy special effects. Yes. Whereas the new ones, they have that. Um, blue, beautiful, slick look, mm, mm. but that CGI uh, effect has always had, I guess on most audiences, they kind of feel there's a yeah. slightly anodyne side yes. to it. Yes. Um, do you feel that when you're watching it? Do you think, oh, look, this is sexy, I love those sexy ships, or do you just think, oh, that's not real? I'm not so impressed with the special effects. Mm-hmm. I-, I think it's more the story, um, the character development, which I think is kind of interesting, the people... It's not as... The, the special effects and the action in this one, mm. to me, are not what makes it interesting. Right. I, yeah, when, when you talk about special effects, I think what I liked about the original was that, you know, there were sets. Like, they would go into a spaceship set yeah. and, you know, it was tan- tangible and tactile. Whereas every time they go up into the spaceship on the current one, it's, it's all blue screen and it's quite obviously so, like, really weird um, kind of perspectives and really odd angles and framing and it's just yeah you don't have a sense of place when they're in a spaceship whereas well I think they're, they're shooting it in Vancouver and I'm just I don't know if it's, oh, in it's a, raining is it in a time. studio or is it in people's homes I'm not sure if it's on location you know yes. whereas we were you know in the Warner Brothers lot 
and half huge studios where half of the studio was taken up with huge spaceships. I mean, it was just so exciting. So I have a feeling that's probably not the case with this. Yeah, as no, you said, it's I, I all blue screen and yeah, cupboards. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think they're filmed like somewhere like here. Yeah. Mm. This is a real that's TV right. studio. That's mm. right. It's awesome. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Well, one of the other interesting aspects of the show is also the, the way sci-fi shows are made now. Uh, you look at things like Battlestar Galactica, where the grittiness and the terror and the horror of it is something that wouldn't even begin to be contemplated. I mean, you look at something like Doctor Who, which in the 70s was vilified by Mary Whitehouse as one of the most horrible things on television and was actually... Uh, there was a campaign to ban it because it was so horrific for children. Um, looking at it now, it seems ridiculous, but uh, obviously... I'm scared of the egg cup. Well, you know. Um... No, I was actually scared of bubble wrap for about 12 years. <laughs> Terrified. Um, but also the pacing and the way things are shot. Um, obviously, the Stargate Universe uh, series has recently become the victim of a world that has seen the shield, that has seen Battlestar Galactica and has seen this and thought, well, actually, that's just more of the same. But at the same time, you could never shoot it in the same way that Stargate was, which is this uh, happy, bright uh, palette. Mm. If we showed that kind of show now, people would think that was ridiculous. And I guess, in a sense, to illustrate that point, I'm going to show an original clip from V, so we can see what happens when the majesty of the visitors coming can perhaps be perceived in a slightly different way. What is it? It's wobbly. How can it just hang there? <laughs> I think the answer to why it can just hang there because it's hanging from a piece of nylon. Um, Is it? No. Yeah. Uh, obviously, it's, it's it had a, a bit of a wobble on. <laughs> it's a wonderful example of the matte, matte painter's art and something that's been lost over the years. Yeah. Um, but um, I think when you look at, uh, obviously, you've been forced to rewatch V clips all your life. Um, by horrible people, you know, like like us. Like us. <laughs> do you look at it with fondness, or is it something that you can relive with joy, or do you think, oh my god? Well, me I'm now. very lucky because I'm blessed with a sense of humour. Ah. Yes, and um, I think I can look at it and I can laugh and I can have a good time. I think it's really fun to watch, I've, even now. Mm. It's just a lot of. Uh, maybe it wasn't intended to be fun at the time. But um, maybe it was. I don't know. The series certainly was. Hmm. But um, wasn't it? I mean, that wasn't yeah, to be taken series. seriously. The series got out of control. But, um, <laughs> but, but that was to be taken very seriously in its time. And now, you know, it's, I don't know if people would take it that seriously now. I'm not sure. I think people just look at it as a curio. I, do you bit, think? No, or what? I, what do you I've, think? I've watched it not that long ago. Yeah. And it, like, dramatically it still really holds up. Oh, that's good. And, it's, and also all that whole... Yeah, it is, it is like watching a, a science fiction rendering... Of a war movie, yeah. of, a, of a, a you know, Nazis and the and yes. the resistance and the whole thing. Like it, it feels like it's supposed to, like an allegory, yeah. as opposed to the new one, which is just weird and paranoid. No. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you, uh, Jane, when you talk to your um, uh, 
I guess, sci-fi alumni. Yes. Um, and you would bump into other actors and actresses who've been involved with sci-fi shows. Do you find a similar fondness for the material or do you find people who are desperately trying to escape their legacy? Um, I think part of us all, we all go through periods where we desperately are trying to escape our legacy and kind of, you know, forge new identities for ourselves. But then at some point you just relent and you think, well, I guess I'm lucky that I've done something in my life that people uh, constantly want to talk about and find endlessly fascinating. Mm. So, um, you know, it's kind of a double-edged sword. But um, I think most people would feel similarly that I've met... Um, they're proud of what they've done, but then they also want to be recognised for what they're doing now. Mm. Well, it, I think we'll, we'll be thrilled to see the new Diana burst into song on season two of <laughs> <laughs> The mm, New V. We should let them know that. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I think the campaign starts here, Come people. On. Does Evil Diana on yeah. Neighbours yes. burst into song at all? Uh, no, 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 that's probably not. I've done. I burst into song on many shows. <laughs> Mission Impossible. I was that's a French right. singer. Yes. Then I was an Irish singer. They were always trying to, fig- you know, get me to sing. How? But, how um, what? Like, did you come here to Australia for Mission Impossible yeah. and and decided to stay? Yes. How? What? Men. What? I love the men here. <laughs> My favourite men are Australian men, and See, that that's is why for I sure. won't leave. <laughs> I know, they're so gorgeous, uncomplicated, you know, not neurotic like New Yorkers. It's beautiful, beautiful thing. Awesome. Yes. Well, that's nice to yes. hear. Yes. Well, I think to wrap up our video yes, conversation, we I think we should um, show just practically the closest that Diana ever got to singing. To singing, ah. On the original there. Hmm. <clears throat> Kate is very unpleasant, aren't they? See, now that doesn't make dramatic sense to me. Why would she bite the head off without plucking it? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> or just chuck it down whole like the germ? Fetish, <laughs> fetish. Remember, the, remember that word uh, before? Yes. Fetish, Sorry. yes. <laughs> uh, so you, I liked it better when she could, you know, detach her gullet. <laughs> Obviously it's a crunchy homage to Hitchcock. Touché. Mm. Now, it seems churlish to move on and discuss other sci-fi shows, but I feel um, only, only necessary that we do. Um, and uh, another show that was actually predates the original V um, and was in its day very exciting and one of the biggest shows on the planet. Uh, people don't realise this, that uh, the original Battlestar Galactica, whilst people look at it now and think, well, it's a horrible uh, Star Wars rip-off, mm. it is, was, in fact, one of the biggest shows it on the planet. It was huge. Um, and I it think was released in the cinema here in Australia, like, twice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the original pilot was released in the cinema here and then the, there was a two-parter with uh, uh, oh. Lloyd Bridges. Uh, yes, well, there's the Mission, the Mission yeah. Earth one where they Which used... They released in the cinema break. here as well. It's like, oh, here's another movie. Mm. Wow. And we paid and we went mm. <laughs> to watch TV. <laughs> Obviously, if you read comic books at the time, you'd, you would have been able to buy one of the Battlestar Galactica uh, jackets, which oh, was wow. uh, came with the tagline, oh. from outer space to the disco. Oh, I wish I had oh. one of those. Oh, that's great. Oh, yes. I had an, I had an iron-on Cylon T-shirt, but oh. that was it. And I ironed it on great. myself, so it's a little bit crooked. Mm. <laughs> 
Now, obviously, the Battlestar Galactica story is well known by fans of science fiction. Um, it's probably the most successful, the new reimagined series is mm. probably critically the most successful show of sci-fi and if... I guess, of all television. Many people put it up there with shows like The Wire and The Sopranos as how to make television really, really interesting. Now, where did this all come from? I think we should see just particular where Glenn A. Larson gave us... There are those who believe that life here began out there, far across the universe, with tribes of humans who may have been the forefathers of the Egyptians or the Toltecs, or the Mayans. Some believe that there may yet be brothers of man who even now fight to survive somewhere beyond the heavens. Jane Seymour, awesome. Now, obviously, looking at that casting lineup, you know that that was a huge show at the time. Um, and <laughs> obviously, Quinn fans of the new series will obviously recognise and adapt and match to the new Starbuck and the new Colonel Ty and all that kind of jazz. Um, now, obviously, one of the famous faces at the time was Richard Hatch, who was one of the biggest TV stars on the planet. And his story is quite extraordinary. Uh, the Battlestar Galactica that um, many of us grew up with obviously ended, and he then took on a one-man mission to bring back Battlestar Galactia. He created his own online trailers, he created a whole world of fan fiction that was ignored by the studios year after year after year. And after two decades of trying, he was then informed that this upstart who used to work on Star Trek had organised his own version of Battlestar Galactica and much to his horror that it was actually going to be shot the pilot was going to be shot and possibly a miniseries was going to be created and it was only uh, after the miniseries had shot that he was actually invited to join the cast as a if you like a um, 
a gesture of goodwill to the fans, who at the time were absolutely furious that somebody would remake this without using the original cast. And obviously, everybody knows the furor over Starbuck being a woman. <laughs> now, I think one of the questions is for somebody like Jane, who's seen these kind of actors time and time again, because there's one kind of actor who disappears and runs away from their sci-fi heritage. But then there's the other one, mm, mm. The, um, the fairly desiccated, rather lonely figure sitting at the end <laughs> of the science fiction convention booth mm. where you think the oh, God the science man... science fiction convention booth, that's another yeah. story. Yeah. <laughs> and you think, good God, let it go, man. Now, please mm. tell us your stories that involve perhaps Science fiction conventions or...? That, well, yes. Let's, let's start with science fiction conventions and then talk science about actors who hold on to wow. I was going to say, is that, is that where it comes from, though? You go to science fiction conventions and people just go, you shouldn't remake it, and, like, four people tell you, and like, yeah, I should. <laughs> I should do that. <laughs> well, people, uh, you know, a lot of the sci-fi f- uh, stars make their living from doing sci-fi conventions. Yeah. That's actually why... The, I mean, it's just so huge, especially in the States, like Dragon Con and Dragon Quest. and I mean, it's absolutely huge. And um, I've, done a f- I've done a few of them, but I don't... I find them... I don't love doing them. I hate having to make people pay for my... I mean, my autograph. I don't know. I think it's... People, fans love doing it, but it just somehow is hard for me. So, but I think that's um, what, how, how it works. No. That people wait and you sign a photo and an extra photo, an extra autograph is more money and it's like it's thirty or forty bucks. Yeah, it's not yeah, cheap. for photo, you know, for and it's um, you know, they make like they just the more autographs they sign and the Do more. Do you photos, get a cut? As, as they the get actor? every single penny that, that that they every photograph. Uh, they supply the photographs and everyone that you sign, you make all of that money. So you make. They don't everything. pay you. Yeah. Wow. They, you you come and that's how you make your money and you make thousands. You can make thousands wow. of dollars. Yep. I didn't realise yeah, that. Yeah, it's extraordinary. I thought, like, maybe yeah. the convention people got, like, a, you know, you got a cut. No, you make you get every, the whole you get thing. The whole thing. <gasps> yep. And they'll fly you out generally as well. They'll pay you. Sometimes, airfares. sometimes not, depending on who you are. Right. Yep. That's bizarre. I oh, know. Got to get myself a sci-fi show. Yep. <laughs> now, of course, everybody knows, uh, if you've seen the recent photos of the orgy of geekiness at San Diego Comic Con, that people do go to all extremes mm. to celebrate their love of their shows. And sometimes they do cross lines. What was that? I didn't know about... What happened? (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know about that. People do cross lines um, and they perhaps overstep the boundaries of good taste and or um, personal space. I'm just wondering whether you can um, tell us uh, a particular story that might have happened to you at a um, sci-fi convention where you might have felt, not perhaps threatened, but at least um, bemused by human (laughs) behaviour. Well, the thing that I find so odd is the costumes that people wear. You know, people oh, yeah. they love to dress in costumes. And um, the last one that I did, I did one about maybe five or eight years ago in L.A. Maybe it was a bit longer. And um, I think there was, um, you know, well, there were the normal people dressed as me. And people tell you their personal stories and... And they, it's hard because you think they're all, they're all a bit mad. <laughs> I think they're all a bit, they have, and, and one guy had a tattoo of me all the way down his Oh, my arm. God. So, I don't know. It just goes a little past that stage where you think it's a little obsessive. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I think it's when they show you the tattoo and get you to sign the tattoo and then they come back to the convention after and they've had that inked in. That's yeah. always the sign. Yeah. That's creepy. Still, though, I think, you know, if you have that conviction that a particular thing does define you, although you do actually have to question somebody who feels that Diana speaks to them 
on that level. <laughs> um, She's not the best role model. Uh, no. <laughs> Crazy space nuts. <laughs> but it is interesting because, obviously, these people who grew up with these shows, with Battlestar Galactica, with V, mm. have now grown up to become TV producers and writers mm. and now made their own versions of these shows. And I think that's one of the things that defines this generation is that we were actually the first generation to grow up on science fiction that wasn't denuded of its value because it was put into a little cupboard that said sci-fi. And it's even now that the word sci-fi is something that no longer has a a derogative term. No, we've lost and... Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Mm. So, I mean, people may have said, oh, Star Wars, what's that, in 1977? But people now don't say, oh, Inception, I would never see such a thing. Yes, that's right. And I guess the question is, do we have that... New Battlestar Galactica, but we don't because no. it's just rubbish and nobody uh, likes it. Oh, look, I, I can I can reenact some of it if, if you, you like. What I'll, is, what I'll is need to cry for about favorite. 20 minutes beforehand. Yeah. <laughs> what is my... What's your favourite moment in the new Battlestar Galactica series? In the new Battlestar Galactica? Has everyone seen it all yet? I don't want to spoil anything. Spoiler alert. Um, if you're here and you haven't. It's when, you know, you've gotten... I think it's halfway through season four and it's been the bleakest television show you've ever seen in your life. And they get to Earth, which has been nuked. And, and they go, oh, we've been searching for this place and now it's a radioactive wasteland. The silence have gotten here. And uh, it, you, when you think things cannot get any bleaker, uh, then your favourite character goes and shoots herself in the head. And you just go, oh, my God, why do I watch this show? They're constantly upsetting me. But it's, you know, it's, it's still... I mean, if, like, with, like with the original V which was about, you know, essentially Nazis in space. This is a war movie. It's about, you know, people who've been hounded out of their homes, who've been, you know, chased across what would be normally a country and, uh, you know, trying to find somewhere where they can go, possibly on a boat, Tony Abbott, I don't know. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, people who have nowhere to live who are are fleeing from war and and just desperate people. And Mm. it does have a a kind of... you feel like what you know. You can. There's an episode where you see someone commit a suicide bombing, and it's a sympathetic suicide bombing. And you just that is. You could never do that on television in America, except if you say it's sci-fi, and everyone goes, "Oh yeah, no, that's not a real suicide bombing. It's a pretend one." And I think that that's why I, I love Battlestar Galactica for that reason because it is so. It's so meaty. It's mm. so. But it's not something you can sit and watch all in one sitting. You would be. Yeah, you'd be joining D in the cupboard with the gun. Not like Entourage, huh? <laughs> no. <laughs> I find Entourage bleak because, really, those oh, boys not, have no That's morals. not science fiction. <laughs> or maybe it is science fiction. <laughs> yeah, people who get jobs in Hollywood are actually happy. <laughs> yeah. Now, James, they don't have these... enough therapists on that show. <laughs> one of the things um, I've always wanted to ask about sci-fi actors and actresses who actually enjoy science fiction, um, do you actually get caught up in the story like an ordinary fan or do you see where uh, Mark will be and where somebody will cut in and all these kind of things, the technical side of it? Do you get lost in the sci-fi like everybody else or do you just see it as... I think we probably did in the TV movie and the miniseries. Mm -hmm. Everyone got, you know, really involved with the story and we all believed in it. I think when it became a series, it's sort of, no, we probably didn't get lost in the story. Mm. I think when you, obviously, yes. the, the lizard wedding um, is something. Yeah, if mm. it's something bigger than you that you believe in, yeah. you do. Okay. Yeah. 
Now, um, obviously, um, Battlestar Galactica is one of the more interesting, I guess, reiterations. Um, but that's an example of a show that has been definitely remade. And I think it's now time to introduce a show that hasn't been in a, technically been remade. It's been continued. And in the Guinness Book of Records, it's been referred to as the longest-running TV show of science fiction in history. Um, although some fans will deny that and say that Stargate is, uh, but uh, we'll discuss that later. <laughs> but before we get into it, I think we should discuss, uh, after seeing, a fabulous clip of Doctor Who. Mm. When you were young and your heart was an open book You used to say I think uh, it was Steven Spielberg who said the world would be a far unhappier place without Doctor Who in it. And 
I think uh, if ever there's a celebration of the what if and the possibility of the human imagination, it is Doctor Who. Um, but without talking about it a little bit too much, we're going to actually introduce one of the world's great authorities on Doctor Who. And by proving his worth as a Doctor Who <laughs> aficionado, Adam Richard is going to list the Doctors in order um, uh, from number one all to... Of them. All of them. Um, number one to number well, I mean, they, you know, they do say that Doctor Who has its longevity because they've, you know, when they came upon the idea of recasting the lead role. But I think also every time they recast it, and sometimes halfway through, they change the format of the show a little bit so that it becomes a different show. Like, it started with William Hartnell in 1963, and uh, it was an educational program. It was, you know, teaching about history and science, and then people got excited about bug monsters. And so then they recast that with Patrick Troughton in uh, 66, I think. And uh, just tick. Then, uh, <laughs> then it became uh, like a pop art show with lots of weird, psychedelic kind of weird visuals and lots of monsters and a lot of running around and screaming and uh, then in 1970 it was John Pertwee and it became uh, an action adventure show so it was you know more about you know fast cars explosions soldiers and um, kung fu or Venusian karate Uh, (laughs) then in uh, 75 it was Tom Baker who took over and then it became a, a kind of a gothic horror series which is where I fell desperately in love with it and still to this day want to scare the bejesus out of myself. So much so that I'm still... I'm really actually scared of bubble wrap. Um, I don't know whether I'm scared of bubble wrap or actors pulling their hands out of their pockets going, because it's covered in bubble wrap. Um, At least I hope it's bubble wrap. (laughs) Uh, Then kind of halfway through Tom Baker's reign, it became a really broad comedy for a couple of years. And at the very end of his his tenure, it became a really kind of intense science fiction soap opera almost with, you know, different people coming in and out of the TARDIS. Then he was replaced by Peter Davison and it got a little bit more kind of whingy and soapy and everyone arguing with one another. But a lot of really high science fiction concepts instead of, you know, scary monsters chasing people down corridors. It was, you know, weird mathematical constructs and bizarreness. Uh, Then uh, Peter Davison became uh, Colin Baker, Uh, and it started to sort of... It became kind of a show that celebrities would turn up in, like The Muppet Show, and it was basically Dancing with the Stars with a science fiction plot. So it was, you know, it got really broad, and it sort of, you know, lost its way a little bit, got a bit, you know, silly. And then uh, along came Sylvester McCoy, who was the last one back in the old days. And then it became a weird sort of, like an absurdist interpretation of what it used to be in the 60s. It's a very strange show, the last three years of Doctor Who. It's very peculiar. But, you know, worth a look if you like to eat mushrooms. Uh, (laughs) So that was 89 he finished, when I was finishing high school. And uh, we all parted company. Uh, (laughs) And then in 96, Paul McGann did a a television movie as Doctor Who, which was made in America, and it's a very American thing, with Eric Roberts, who is now on Celebrity Rehab. Um... (laughs) As yeah. the master. <laughs> yeah, Eric Roberts played the master. And, you know, he was doing some scenery-chewing awesomeness. Mm. But, uh, yeah, it was kind of like Star Trek meets X-Files with a British actor in it, and it was a little bit, you know, undercooked. Uh, and then, obviously, 2005, we had Christopher Eccleston starting again with a whole new... with Russell T. Davis's new Doctor Who, then David Tennant. And that is kind of, I would call... Uh, it's kind of an adventure sitcom, you know, dramedy 
really. It's with, you know, science fiction elements. It's, it's a fun show, but it's very much kind of rooted in family... Not just family viewing, but there's a lot of family stuff in the show. And now, obviously, uh, Matt Smith, who's in the, uh, the Stephen Moffat version, which is, again, getting a bit scary, like the old Tom Baker days, and, uh, but still very, you know, a little, just a little bit on the fluffy side. But mm. I'm still a bit frightened of it. <laughs> and there were other Doctor Who's. There was a Doctor Who in a stage play called Trevor Martin. There was uh, Peter Cushing, who played Doctor Who in the films. Um, oh, and Richard E. Grant played Doctor Who once. On, in a, a cartoon on the internet. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the fabulous Adam Richard. Wow. <clears throat> Do you want to name some more? <laughs> I, I am. Wow. Mm. I am. Mm. All, these, all right, well, there was Ian and Barbara. <laughs> and, uh, I would. Mm. <laughs> wow. But I, kind of, I grew up with Doctor Who and I kind of, uh, you know, and I don't know whether, again, a lot, a lot of Doctor Who fans are gay. Like, it's a lot of really obsessive Doctor Who fans are gay. And I don't know if that's because they immediately identified with a man who had barely dressed women standing next to, him, to them and he paid no attention to them <laughs> whatsoever. Like, not even, you know, not even a glance, really. <laughs> you know, Leela could be standing there with <laughs> her skins with a knife on her belt and, and, you know, Tom Baker's Doctor was just like, mm, yes. <laughs> so I think... Jelly you know, baby? I don't, I don't know, yeah, the jelly babies. <laughs> it's all, you know, the eccentricity... I, I don't know if that's what <laughs> what attracts gay men to Doctor Who. <laughs> it's a strange, twisted world. <laughs> or the fact that it looks like they're going to the toilets in the park all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and they go in the TARDIS. That's a gay thing too. Yeah. <laughs> Jane, were you ever exposed to uh, gay I, men in the toilets? I mean, oh. Doctor Who. Were you ever exposed to Doctor Who when My you were up? Adrenaline because... just started to... <laughs> Have um, you been to a club with George Michael? <laughs> <laughs> I like George Michael. And he likes the toilet. No. Oh. <laughs> um, you know, is Doctor Who not in... It's not in America. Well, it they is do. Now. There is it actually... Is now. It's like Monty Python, where there is oh, this cult this following, but, but it um, has expanded. It and certainly now it's wasn't huge. around when I was growing up. Right. It was English and Australian more, wasn't yes, it? Of so I didn't really grow up with Doctor Who. Yeah. I didn't even really know about Doctor Who. Oh, mm. sorry. Until I moved here. No. Which is actually one a long of the time ago. Um, immigration. That's right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the Canadians have a have a huge Doctor Who thing. They do. Yeah, the Empire. It stretched out. You oh, know. Ah yes. When Queen Victoria dumped the Empire, she still kept mm. them making them watch their TV shows. Oh. <laughs> now, I guess um, one of the questions that Doctor Who has raised in recent times, and one of the most fascinating, I guess, remake ideas that have come along, is that. Uh, Russell T Davies, who grew up with it, has obviously imparted uh, so much of his own personality into the show. Mm. Um, and obviously one of those is his sexuality, which I think is um, another one of these sci-fi ideas where not only can you have a woman captain in Star, Star Trek Voyager, you can actually have gay characters where the whole idea of being gay isn't in fact in any way some kind of interesting point. It's just that's who they are. You mean Captain Jack? Well, obviously Captain Janeway in, in mm. Star Trek. Oh, no, Captain Jack in Doctor oh, Who. Oh, Captain Jack, obviously. He's omnisexual. He's, he's omni... He will he eat will, anything. He's, I think he's just slutty. Yeah. <laughs> wow. But also, in particular, say, The Waters of Mars, yeah, uh, yeah. where uh, I don't know whether it's a, it's a Christmas special where uh, a, a gay character is discussing their home life in the way that any normal person would do with no any kind of hoo-ha at all. Mm. And it's one of the subtlest, most mm. interesting pieces of writing just because of that. Um, do you look at that and go, yeah! Or do you just go, 
finally, you bastards. <laughs> I, I kind of go, yeah, oh, thank God it's not, you know, oh, my God, it's the gay one. <laughs> Which, you know, a lot of stuff tends to have. But... Sometimes I find that... Into, like, you know, you look at a TV show like Modern Family, which is rating hugely in this country at the moment and has a gay couple on it and um, that mysteriously doesn't have a sponsor. It's sponsored by the 7 p.m. Project. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think that, you know, I, that is... Uh, I think that's just television in general is now moving towards, you know, a bit being a bit more inclusive. Well, that's, I guess, also science fiction in general. Not well, many people fiction, know. Al- I mean, you, you've always had kind of... Uh, there's always been you know, they've tended towards more gay characters in science fiction. Like, even in something like uh, Star Trek where, you know, they had... <laughs> they have the Trill, who are kind of slug creatures that live inside someone, and then they get transplanted to someone of the opposite gender, and it's like, oh, do I still love them? Oh, I'll give her a patch anyway. <laughs> well, actually, now, this is an interesting episode from Deep Space Nine. This was, in fact, the world's first... On American... Sorry... America's first primetime lesbian kiss yeah. was on Deep Space Nine. And the first ever interracial kiss was on Star Trek, where, exactly. uh, you know, William Shatner, he had to kiss everyone. Mm. <laughs> uh, so he patched Uhura one time. I mean, he'd already patched a green lady, no one cared. Yep. But, uh, <laughs> well, one of the interesting things, of course, is the original Star Trek was the original captain in the pilot was a woman. Yes. Mm. So, um, Our first officer. No, no. She was actually... Uh, sorry, before it was shot, ah. she was the captain um, before she became the, the first officer. And obviously then Spock got involved um, and they weren't too sure about him in the pilot because he looked a bit too devilly. Um, <laughs> but then, of course, they liked him because he looked a bit too devilly. Mm. Did you grow up looking at Star Trek and yeah, thinking, yeah, the, damn... Well, the movies. Yeah. Movies. Oh, the movies. Yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah. I actually almost got into one of those movies. Oh, wow. Which one? Almost got oh, into Oh, my God, That's tell us so... about the audition. No, but I had to audition. Yeah. And, um, and I had to do a screen test, and it was down to me and someone else. Kirstie and they Alley? did every... No, it wasn't Kirsty Alley. Um, was maybe... Was it the bold lady? <laughs> I can't remember who it was now. But um, anyway, no, I had, they did everything. They put the ears on us and the whole thing. Wow. Oh, wow. So I know. You so somewhere there's a, a photo of you as a Vulcan. A Vulcan. Oh, my God. A Vulcan. That was it. I there are, for a there Vulcan. are thousands of people who would pay damn <gasps> oh, good money know. to see that. Diana I wouldn't be Vulcan. here right now, would I? Uh, well, no, you'd definitely <laughs> be here right now. a big star. You don't want to be Kirstie Alley. This no. Is, Mm. Poor Kirsty Alley, yes. No, I don't <laughs> want to be Kirsty Alley. No. <laughs> she has issues, yes. Yeah. She ate her ears. Oh. <laughs> Poor Kirsty Alley. I'm fat, I can make the jokes. <laughs> oh my god. Dear me. Um, Sorry. So it's certainly uh, I never get to make nerd jokes. This is fun. Yeah. <laughs> But um, I guess it's, uh, sci-fi has always blazed the trail and it's interesting to see that each generation has blazed their own trail in the way that these new iterations of these shows have, in a sense, taken what has been used before and then used their own mm-hmm. idea. Um, Stephen Fry, uh, just recently, actually last night at the Opera House, was asked whether he uh, wanted to be Doctor Who and he said, look, if asked, if certainly he would. And I'd just like to hear your thoughts, Adam, in particular, on... What would it be like to have a perhaps more openly sexual and gay Doctor Who? Uh, oh, see, I've never really thought of Stephen Fry as that sexual. Mm-mm. No, you know, no. Yeah, it's one thing. Like, if you see, this is something I learned from watching Carry On movies, and I applied to my own stand-up. <laughs> if you, 
If you come across as too sexual, then all innuendo loses its power. <laughs> so kind of nodding and winking is far more powerful than, uh, you know, kind of being lascivious. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think I would see Stephen Fry as being a sexual Doctor Who. You know, I... It, it's a terrifying thought, really. It is a terrifying thought. Mm. And also, you know, it would be exhausting for the poor man. There's a lot mm. of running. Mm. Mm. I mean, hell on his ankles. He's very <laughs> cerebral, isn't he? I mean, he's more he of a is. cerebral type. Yeah. yeah. And that's... I mean, that's another thing. That's a, a, just something that happens with mm. modern television is that, you know, back in the 60s and 70s, you can get away with Doctor Who being a cerebral show and, mm. and a lot of people sitting in a room being terrified of things that are outside the door because the BBC can't afford to build them. <laughs> But, you know, now everything's, you know, they spend 10 months making 13 hours or 13 45-minute episodes. And it's a lot of, you know, early mornings, late nights, and it's a really physically demanding show. So I don't think they could get away with having a leading man older than 30 anymore. It would... They'd kill someone. Mm. Like, William Hartner was nearly dead when he was doing it. He was only 55. (laughs) Now, I think it's... um time, obviously, it's wonderful to hear two luminaries discuss science fiction, but I think some of the audience members might have been jumping up and down and chomping at the bit to actually ask questions of such an aficionado and such an icon. And I think if any of you in the audience would like to ask a question, please Oscar prepare. knows a lot to ask him. Well, Oscar does. You really don't <laughs> want to ask me because I'll just tell you the answer and I'll spoil it for you. <laughs> um, so if anybody has a question, please ask Anna or Wait, let yourselves be known, and um, yeah, we'll continue up. on. And then, and then, um, yeah, do put your hand up, and the microphone will magically appear in your hand. I, don't, I know it's a very small space, so sometimes it feels funny talking mm. into a microphone. But we are recording the event, so yeah. you can just you're fully going to be podcast. Fully going to be podcast. Adam, I heard a rumor that you're actually writing that it's a, a scurrilous rumour and you helped write the television pilot. Um, ah, <laughs> everyone, free publicity. Troy Hunter and I and uh, a gentleman called uh, John Richards, who you might know from if you listen to the Box Cutters podcast, um, yeah. did, wrote a short film some time ago called Outland about a gay science fiction club <laughs> which has been commissioned as a six part mm. series at the ABC Great. and we're currently casting and uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know what your range is like but we are looking for an Aboriginal lesbian in a wheelchair <laughs> I can do that <laughs> I can do that I'll have a crack <laughs> but uh, yeah we've uh, I'm versatile yeah we're, I'm, I'm I'm now getting to write a television show. Yay. Oh, my God, I'm fully the new Russell T. Davies. <laughs> <laughs> actually, now, this is an interesting... I, I think that actually raises an interesting point because this is not dissimilar to perhaps Ron Moore sitting at um, the Deep Space Nine writing room thinking, I can do better than this. Yeah. Um, what kind of shows are mm. going through your head when you're sitting down writing this um, mag- magnus opus? Mm. Uh, well, you know, there's a lot of Doctor Who in there. There's a lot of Star Trek. There is um, there is an episode where the the, the sci-fi group are all going out to see a musical oh, <laughs> based that. on Star Trek: The Next Generation. That's great. <laughs> performed at the Darabin Art Centre. Um, <laughs> That's great. And. Uh, yeah, and there's one of the characters sings a couple of songs, one of which is called Make It So. <laughs> 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 uh, 
And another one about uh, my number one. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, um, it's weird. Like, you know, I have all those... Plus, we also came up with a, a made-up show. We created this show called Space Gypsies, uh, which, you know, was a failure. And then now there's new Space Gypsies and it's been off NSG Vortex. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> like, we have all these bizarre... Like, there's this weird, you know, metafiction going on. Like, we've created this whole world that, you know, the ABC can't build. Uh, so it's just all in people's mouths. <laughs> People talking about things. Plus there's a whole gay side to it. Basically, this, this group of characters are all... You know, they're all open about their sexuality, but they're all in the closet about being nerds. <laughs> I don't want anyone to know. That's correct. They're weird. They're odd people. Sounds great. Well, I'm excited. Yeah. Now, do we have another question, sir? Uh, when they remake a series, why do they so often remove the very thing that made the original successful and mm. interesting? Now, sir, can I ask you a question? Which particular show and which particular thing did you love that you saw um, removed before your very eyes, much to your chagrin? Well, I could refer to something. I've never met anyone here in Australia who's seen a series called Survivors. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> when it showed, it just sent sparks around my brain and everything, and they really investigated how a society after a collapse like that could reform, and they investigated different ways in which that could be done. Now, recently they had a, a remake of that on TV, and I only watched a few episodes and gave it up in disgust because it was just racing around car chases and things, mm. and, and guns and things, and it had nothing of the original. I think, like, like I was saying before, like the, with the new Doctor Who, there is a, you know, we're in a generation where people flip channels like crazy. They're on the internet with the television in the background. It's mm. a, if you're not cap- capturing someone's attention and dragging them away from whatever they're doing with guns and car chases and helicopters falling out of the sky, then, yeah, a show doesn't, can't, like it, it, it struggles to find an audience. And, you know, as much as I love a show like In Treatment... Uh, which is all set in one room, mm. you know, looking up and seeing Gabriel Byrne nattering on with someone while you're mm. on the Twitter doesn't drag you away. Mm. You know, you have to sit down and watch that show. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of, a lot of producers just go, we need more bells and whistles. No one's going to notice this unless it's got bells and whistles. Plus, about money. Yeah. There's the money. Other, that's actually very true. Mm. And I think that's one of the more interesting points is that science fiction mm. now, after the generation that's gone through... Star Wars, and um, now, as we can see, Battlestar Galactica lost its big business. Mm. Even something as new as Farscape was relegated to, oh, that's sci-fi, you guys do that, come back with it, and, you know, we'll see it. Um, uh, people who are Farscape fans mm. know that it was very difficult to see the show uh, when it was being made in Australia because it was so poorly yeah. treated by Channel 9. And so these guys got up to all sorts of crazy stuff and did really interesting shows, mm. which now every show that is a big-budget science fiction show is, uh, if you like, committed to death by people at the network who are saying, well, what's going on here? Is this mm. going to get people who buy iPods watching the show? Maybe we need some petrol in this shop because we really need to sell cars. Mm. Yeah. And these kind of things that come in as actual notes that really do make writers and creators tear their hair up. But this is the kind of thing, because science fiction is now accepted as more popular by people who run television networks rather than something that sci-fi nerds watch and at 9.30, 10 o'clock at night, maybe you'll get enough people to watch the show so you don't have to run a, one of those commercials that you know, 
make people want to kill themselves or wear snuggies. Or well, I, you know thing. what I think people are doing more and more, I don't know, but more and more people are not watching TV when it's on. They're buying the series yeah. and, and coming home and just watching three in a row, mm. no commercials, three in a row, and then you can sit down at your leisure and watch shows when you want. Yeah. I think that's... I think... Or downloading on your computer. What? Exactly. Sci-fi fans. Yeah. Well, because sci-fi fans have... Yeah. Well, yeah, we, you know, in the past we all used to have to tape Star Trek at midnight and then, you know, watch it the next day or go and buy it from the shops. You can't wait. You don't want to wait. Watch it on VHS. So now it's just we've, we've been conditioned into that. And we're like, well, why should we have to wait? We'll just mm. get off the internet. I certainly know as working at the Sci-Fi Channel uh, on the forums, people cannot wait the six days between the airing in the US and the fast-tracking of, say, Stargate Universe on Sci-Fi Channel. They just cannot wait and they get no. very upset that we should take a week to actually show it. Well, that's what was awesome about Sci-Fi Channel playing the Battlestar Galactic is on the day. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, thank God. I'm not... and because you have to avoid the internet because it's full of spoilers. <laughs> Now, do we have another question? Yep. Um, I was just going to ask, why do you think it's the remakes of shows like B and Battlestar Galactica that have tended to be quite successful compared to original new sci-fi shows like Firefly and Defying Gravity, which sort of got both got cancelled after their first seasons? Is there, do you think there's a reason? Is it the inbuilt fan base from the earlier shows that are making those shows more successful? Or well, I think... They're uh, easier to sell, yeah. There's, that's one of the things, is that you can say to a television executive, uh, this is something that was big in the 70s, you know what this is, you can actually talk about it amongst yourselves. Whereas if you talk to that same television executive, say, I've got a Western set in space, and it's kind <laughs> of like Han Solo, but they talk Chinese. Uh, and it's made by the guy who did Buffy, so, you know, it's going to be a hit. And they go, we have no idea what the hell you're talking about. And it's only after the show has been cancelled that it picks up and gains an audience that then becomes more devoted yeah. than anybody else on the side. I mean, do we have any brown coats in the audience? <laughs> of course we do, of course we do. Um, now, I mean, that's, that's the kind of thing where you do make a show a little bit too far ahead of what the mass audience is going to expect. And, yeah, like, I, the Defying Gravity thing, like, that was always sold as uh, Grey's Anatomy in space, which, of course, people who like Grey's Anatomy very rarely want to go to space. <laughs> and people who want to go into outer yeah, space very right. rarely want to watch Grey's Anatomy. It's so true. it's, um, yeah, that's diminishing returns. That's mm. where you're turning off two audiences at the same time mm. instead of dragging two in. Which is a very sad state mm. of affairs. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, I think yeah, I think it is that sad thing. It's like, you know, they're making a film of Battleship the Game <laughs> with Rihanna in it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how exciting putting pegs in a board will be. But and there's a Monopoly movie coming out. Like it's, you know, executives just go, Oh my god, the tie-ins are amazing. Who cares about the script? Mm. <laughs> That's right. So it's yeah. Although I think I will queue up to watch the asteroids movie though. <laughs> Is there going to be a Metroid movie? I want to see a Me Metroid. Me too. Oh, yeah. fun. No, no, seriously, Asteroids mm. is going to be made as a film. Um, but um, I think also the question is, um, do you like to see your shows that you expect or do you like to be challenged? And I think as sci-fi audiences do, 
We do like to be challenged. We do like for you to shock us with your imagination, sci-fi writers. Mm. And perhaps in the next generation of people who watch their television shows on the internet where there is no filter between who decides what you watch and when you watch and how you watch it, and then the billions of people on Earth who actually have access to the internet mm. will just go and make these shows popular, and that'll be that. And then we will get Firefly Season 2. Um, <laughs> we will get, um, you know... The, the home world and, you know, whatever other shows that we'll, we could possibly imagine because the, the demand will be there. Um, there are so many shows that exist uh, because of shows beforehand. Obviously, the remakes are very, very straightforward. But then there's the spin-offs. Uh, you talk about something like um, the Stargate series where they go uh, every three or four years they have become this new show and a new reiteration of that show for a new set of viewers. And I think if anybody has any questions about that, please do come forward. Now, do we have any other questions? Yes, we do. Uh, yeah, my, my experience has always been that uh, all of my favourite series have had really excellent music. And I, I wonder if... Um, uh, maybe I'll put it this way. Could you prove me wrong in my theory that all of the best series have great music? Absolutely. I mean, this is one of the things I think uh, we've noticed in recent years that... Uh, uh, it even shows like uh, like Warehouse 13, they have or even Sanctuary, they have these kind of nothing, mm. nothing themes. Yeah. Uh, even though the shows are fine. Um, do you? Well, I don't think I don't think music's that important in sci-fi. I mean, Doctor Who it sounded fantastic. The music, <laughs> you know. But, great, but but I remember the music from V being really, you know, that kind of so obvious. those driving like, drums, really interesting you know, stuff. Even like watching, Amer you know, the American V, it's also obvious the music. You know, just when yeah. something goes wrong, suddenly the music. I'm not becomes, mad for the music on that. No, one. it's not, <laughs> it's not really melodic. But like the the Battlestar Galactica music is really That's interesting. Good? It's yeah, yeah, it's 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 very percussive. It's very, <laughs> you know, it's pretty full on. I think that's important. Yeah, I think... I, I mean, music is... It's, you know... It's one of those things, like, it has to be good, but not so good you notice it more than the show. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, well, music speaks of uh, the creative theme being a certain way of thinking. Well, I mean, the thing with Doctor Who was, like, you know, they kind of pioneered electronic music. Like, they were doing... Like, the, the Doctor Who theme was not written to be an electronic piece of music. It was written to be, you know play by an, a band or an orchestra or something and yeah the radiophonic workshop went oh we can do this with knobs and twiddles <laughs> and they did um obviously russell t davis is doing something similar these days but i think the question <laughs> i think the question that we'd all like adam to answer is how did they make the sound for the tardis which is one of the most iconic sounds in science that. fiction, but some people don't know it as to how it was happening. They dragged a key along a, a piano string. And played it backwards. Um, yeah. If you've ever heard that squeak when somebody's Weird. playing guitar yeah. Yeah. Um, and you slowed that down and you slid up and down, then you'll actually start to hear the beginning of the Tata sound. Yeah, it's full on. Yeah, uh, they, well, they were, yeah, they were doing all sorts of weird fantastic. stuff. And, you know, it was back in the days of tapes. I know. Mm. See, now you just press three buttons and make that noise. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, of course, obviously, your point being that um, people who create these new science fiction shows, like, say, Battlestar Galactica, uh, you wouldn't expect somebody to use, say, Philip Glass um, in their sci-fi shows as they do now, which is just insane. But, but I'm, I'm, I mean, you know, you just have to look at something like Lost, which is essentially a sci-fi show, and, you know, Michael Giacchino, who, who created some of the music for that using you know, the actual 
of actual bits of a plane. Like some of it's, you know, him just banging on planes. <laughs> and then he wins an Academy Award. Bless him. <laughs> For banging on a plane. <laughs> now, we have another question. Sorry. Hi. Um, this is about a show with a brilliant um, theme, beautiful music. Um, I'm talking about Star Trek Next Gen. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that was the beginning of the great... Um, bringing back the science, science fiction show from the dead because the remake-a-thon. <laughs> yeah, where the original Star Trek was so hokey and and people sort of laughed at it, um, thinking it was a bit tragic. And then Next Gen came along and it was just so dignified and eventually. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Once once they changed the uniforms. Yeah. Um, look, I think that that's part of it. I know. I, you know, I'm such a massive nerd. I even watched the spare discs you get and watched a thing with uh, William Shatner where he admitted he had never seen an episode of Next Generation because he wasn't in it. Uh, <laughs> he's an ego in a truss. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I think, you know, that, that success of that Star Trek, which then led on to Deep Space Nine and then Voyager and Enterprise and, you know, the many, many films, uh, I think is what... You know, that's that's the the bottom line reason that these shows are approved is that you know Paramount make still to this day shitloads of money out of the out of Star Trek fans by going look it's in a new box, and we all run out like fools and buy it, and it's the same shit discs that were in the last box. They just put them in a new stuck <laughs> a new cover on it. Uh, but yeah, I think it's uh, yeah, I think that that the fact that it made so much money, whether you know and. You know, it's that kind of weird thing of diminishing returns. If it's a good show, then people will watch it and people will pay for it and, you know, it'll get an audience. But, yeah, the, some people will just knock something out and go, hey, The Invaders, that was good. Let's put Scott Bakula in it. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, you have to make a good show to, you know, it's it's just getting financed that I think Star Trek started. It's just made, meant people would pay for it. I think younger people who didn't sort of experience um, Star Trek The Next Generation when it first came out don't actually realise just how big it was. It oh, was huge. one of the biggest shows on the planet. And um, without a network, mm-hmm. like it was all through syndication. Absolutely. And, um, you know, you had... Um, they were leading the primetime shows um, in the end of, obviously, The Best of Both Worlds, which is possibly... Well, it was uh, nominated for an Emmy um, and uh, was one of the great cliffhangers of all time. Well, especially because Patrick Stewart hadn't signed his contract for Series 4. So he might have just gone off to Borg World. (laughs) He's a nightmare, by the way. (laughs) He's one of the... You know what we were talking about before, about people who don't want to kind of embrace what they've done in their past? He's very much talking about, you know, his theatre work and his work on American Dad and... Yes. You know, and it's kind of like you just go, look, you know, you've come out here for Star Trek convention, just talk about it. It's all anyone wants to hear. Yeah, I know. Well, he's a very good actor. I yeah, mean, yeah, we don't deny takes that. Takes himself very seriously. If we wanted to see that, we'd go and see one of your plays. Now, That's talk right. about Captain Picard. <laughs> 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 That's true. So I'll get very uppity on behalf of my nerd friends. <laughs> now, Jane, have you ever bumped into any any Trek alumni, any of the actors or um, people involved in those shows? Oh, yeah, yeah. At the uh, conventions, you do. Mm. You bump into them. Um, Sitting around with Denise Crosby. Isn't it terrible? <laughs> I just... I'm, I'm not, like, so impressed with, 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 with 
with that. I would be so impressed if I met anyone from Mad Men. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of more my Mm. thing. How do I slap men? I know. I just love Mad Men. If I met any of them, I'd be swooning. But um, I guess I have met people from Star Trek. They were Mm. probably sitting right next to me signing autographs with me. Of course. um, We probably didn't have too many chat. I don't know. It's terrible, isn't it? Just love, your okay. yeah. love your show. Love your show, baby. Yeah, you too. You were great too. What show were you in? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that was good. You yeah. the thing with the lizard yeah, people? Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's who you were, yeah. <laughs> now, we have another question. Um, this is mainly for Jane, but uh, the others can answer as well. Um, we've talked about all these remakes that they've done really successfully recently. Uh, but um, I was really interested when I heard that they were go- um, Kenneth Johnson was negotiating to do the second generation of V, uh, and I was really excited about it because I'm a big fan of the original, and the original miniseries was so excellent, and it was really well written, and then it went astray completely when when they got rid of him or he left the series. I don't know exactly what happened. And I thought that's really exciting that he is redoing it. Um, then it was cancelled, I assume, or they didn't like what uh, he was proposing. I'm not exactly sure what happened. And suddenly, boom, we get a new V. Mm. And I was wondering whether you, you talked to Kenneth about it and you know more or less what happened and your take on it. I, I have talked to Ken. Um, I actually um, was in L.A. in January and I met with him. And um, I think it's been really hard. He's spent probably 25 years now trying to get V coming, um, happening again. And he's had so many almost bites. He almost signed with Warner Brothers before this V happened. But he's very, um, how can I say it? He's not very good, in, in good at compromise. And he stuck to his guns about the script. They wanted changes and he wouldn't change them. And everything sort of fell apart. And out from under him came these kind of young upstarts who uh, had an idea and they went to the network and Jace Hall developed it. And I think I met him just as that was all happening. So you can imagine how uh, crushed he would be because he's actually spent probably a good part of his life trying to uh, resurrect it. Uh, And hence the movie. Now he's been trying to get the movie up and going, but... I think it's just all bad luck because I think with the series it's going to be very difficult. So is yeah. So is he kind of like you know? Does he still have rights for the movie? How does that work? He like, has rights it... for the movie, but not for TV. Oh wow! Warner Brothers owns the rights to TV, even though he created it. Yeah, he sold funny. the rights to Warner Brothers. Yeah. Well, I don't so think he, you get he much could, of a choice. He could you? not prevent it from happening. Yeah. But he can do the do the movie. If yeah. anyone will pay for it. Yes, right. <laughs> if anyone will pay for it. Do you have another question? Yeah. Is it movement? Yeah. All right. Now, how are we running for time? Oh, 30. 30, okay. Because uh, I do know that some people have to go and do things, except sit around talking about sci-fi all night. I'm going to see a movie. Yeah. <laughs> At the um, myth. There you Even go. though I think this is much more special. It is, it is, it is. <laughs> now, um, obviously... The shows that we've enjoyed, V, um, Battlestar Galactica, Doctor Who, the Star Treks, they all have their own fans, their own uh, spin on the what-ifs of reality. Um, is there a show for you, Adam, that um, struck a chord 
beyond Doctor Who, or was it just Doctor Who that has been? Oh, look, I you know would watch anything vaguely spacey. <laughs> I'd give it a crack. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, Doctor Who's the only one that kind of stayed with me, and I think that's because. You know, because it was made on that BBC budget where you have to strip out the special effects and you have to strip out anything but pure story and pure acting. Like, it's, you know, it's essentially a play every week, a half-hour play. Um, so, yeah, like like watching the original Battlestar Galactica, I remember thinking it was... It looked amazing, but I never really cared about it from week to week, mm-hmm. like, even as a little kid, because it was just like, oh, yeah, as long as there's silence and explosions, I'll be happy. Well, the other thing is, how much can you be worried about somebody who looks that good in satin trousers? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of satin. Mm. Um, and also, yeah, like like I was saying before, like I really identified with strong female characters. Like, mm. I, and there was, you know, Battlestar. The original Battlestar Galactica was, you know, space hookers and stay-at-home wives. Mm. Like, there was not much, and the stay-at-home wives always died. Mm. <laughs> now, Jane, would you watch Mad Men? In space, or would you turn away from Mad Men set in space? Um, do you like sci-fi shows, or is it something to just? I like sci-fi movies. Right. Yeah. Now, what What in I particular? I probably like sci-fi movies more than I watch sci-fi TV shows. The production values and the quality. I don't know. I just it's less of a commitment. <laughs> you, know, you, can, you know, you can go two hours, it's over. Right. I'm kind of like that with a lot of things. Yeah. You know. What was the last so. science fiction sh- uh, movie that you saw that boiled your blood? Well, I was a huge fan of the Matrix series. Mm-hmm. And I also liked uh, that's that movie that um, Tom Cruise did. <laughs> I know it's a long time ago, but I thought that was really good. He did a sci-fi movie. Yes, what was did. the name of it? The Minority Report? Yeah. That's a good one. I thought that was really good. If only it had stopped. What? <laughs> Before the last half hour. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's probably right. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, I'm just trying to think more recently. That's kind of far back. Isn't it? No, no, but that's that's actually it's soon to be re-released on. I used to go to the Blu-ray. movies, yeah, with my son, you yeah. know, a lot, and we used to see. He loves horror films, you know, anything yeah. so scary that he's, you know, it sounds a bit like you. Yeah. <laughs> but now he's grown up and he won't go to the movies with me, so Aww. I don't go to horror films anymore. Aww. No. That's sad. Yeah. You don't get to see my bloody Valentine in 3D. No. A tragic. I think, I think not you. many people will get to have that privilege. <laughs> now, um, I think also one of the more fascinating things is that um, you as an actress have been able to straddle the worlds, if mm. you like. Um, but is it something that science fiction, when you think about it from time to time, you think, well, this is something I'm never, ever going to escape from. And you know what? Why bother trying? Mm. Or is it something that you've done it and maybe it'll happen again, but maybe I'm just happy that's the chapter of my life? I think when the new V came back on, it was kind of like a lover that had re-emerged. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I just was palpitating. I remember like being at home and hearing the new V was back and I went, <gasps> I could just feel myself, you know, going, oh my God, it's like, oh, I've got to be part of this. So... I really made a, an effort to, like, to contact everyone. And I don't think that any other cast members did that. I think I was the only cast member that actually went out of my way. And everyone wanted to meet me. So I met with the, Jace Hall and then he, the, the original creator of the new one, and now he's gone. And there's a new person now. So wow. then I had to make an effort to meet him. And they all kind of met me and they all were interested in me. But I never sensed that they were going to put me on. They all seemed kind of interested but 
they weren't quite ready yet to sign. Mm. Yeah, it's like they're scared you know, of the old show. They, they just weren't ready. They had to develop the new one, you know. And so, um, you, so now I'm at this crossroads, which we've talked about, where, um, you know, they've contacted me about possibly bringing back my role. So that's kind of like, wow. Like everything I've sort of the last two years been palpitating over is, is a possibility. But once again, it's not a definite even though they might call her Diana, it's still not a definite. So I'm waiting on that. And if it does not happen, I feel, yay, I can finally take that and put it in a box and say, well, it's now, it's now kind of has near to completion. And I know that it won't happen or it will happen. So then I can let it rest. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So as to answer your question, I think I'll be happy when I know the answer to that question mm. and uh, can move on from that part of Diana and right. V. Yeah. Okay, so it'll be interesting to mm, see. Interesting to see. Yeah. 2011, the year where Adam <laughs> Richard becomes a sci-fi star. He does, <laughs> and and I may become one again. Mm. No, I'm in a narrative comedy. <laughs> what they used to call a sitcom in the old movie. Yeah. Oh, okay. So now it's but a narcom. Narrative comedy. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Sounds like something you take when you've had too much heroin. Narcom. <laughs> mm. Now, if we don't have, do we have any other more questions? All right. Well, I think without further ado, we're going to have a little clip from the Sci-Fi Channel, which I guess in a way celebrates uh, many different shows that might be on now, but I did pick it because I just grabbed it up from somebody's desk and it kind of shows you the next generation that iterates from the shows that we've come to enjoy, Stargate, and uh, even things like The X-Files, which can be seen as an echo in Warehouse 13. Uh, You have all these shows that are pay respects to what's come before. And I think the real question perhaps we can ask ourselves if we file reverently out of this uh, theatre is if this Battlestar Galactica is what Ron Moore came up with when he watched Battlestar Galactica back in the 70s, what the hell is the next generation going to come up with when they see this new Battlestar Galactica? Mm. Good God. I mean, are they all going to commit suicide in the original <laughs> opening sequence or what? But it really does... I think when people talk about the death of science fiction or the world being inundated with remakes, a show uh, like Firefly comes along or a movie like Inception comes along and says, you know what, the human imagination, there's so much more to it than we can possibly imagine. And I think that's what makes science fiction so much of a joy for all of us here. So without further ado, please thank Miss Jane Badler. And the fabulous Adam Richard. And please thank Oscar Hillestrom, everyone. Yeah. And thanks so much for joining us and sharing the geekiness uh, in a safe and loving environment. (laughs) Exactly. Sci-Fi in 2010. Australian premieres. Exclusive new 